Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish tech news. And now, a word from our sponsor, Agora Pulse. We know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business. Accounts, meetings, the never-ending inbox. That's why we've teamed up with Agora Pulse to give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing. No complicated Excel docs, long emails, or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all your social media channels in one place. Go to www.agorapulse.com forward slash Irish Tech News to get one month free. Now all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend those spare five hours. Hello and welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. My name is Melanie Boylan and today I'm here with Aisha Rahim, the co-founder of Farms to You. Nice to have you here, Aisha. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, It's been quite a journey getting you here today, hasn't it? (laughs) I mean, even though it's virtual, it has been a journey. Yeah. And in fairness, um, we try to get hold of people um, who would be the movers and shakers, people who are shaping things and changing things for the better for us. So we're happy to roll in and, and be there when you're available, basically. So <laughs> so absolute pleasure to have you here today. Now, there's a few things we want to discuss um, about yourself and about your business. But first of all, Aisha, tell us about Farms to You and, and what it does. Uh, sure. So um, FarmSue is an agri-tech enterprise. We're based in Nigeria, um, serving sub-Saharan African markets. And what we do is we use um, digital solutions to support smallholder farmers um, with access to resources and also access to technical expertise. So I, what that just simply means is that we give them, um, they'll give the smallholder farmers access to information like what to grow based on their um, location, for instance, and also things like um, what um, variety of seedlings to grow as well based on what the market is demanding. Uh, equally, we also provide access to resources like capital um, um, sourcing of seedlings from quality assured uh, uh, services and also like tractor hiring services and finally buyers you know so the market the farming industry the agriculture industry is very much different um, in um, sub-saharan africa in comparison to england or um, ireland for instance where you have you know a thousand hectare land isn't a big deal whereas um, farmers in this region tend to you know farm on smaller parcels of land so you an average farm size of two and a half acres of land is pretty common so the idea is how do we support farmers at that scale um, with um, the insights the expertise they need as well as the resources they need so in a nutshell that's what farm CU is so it needs to be quite profitable quite quickly because it's such a small small surface area, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So we have to think quite differently to, you know, how do you cut the farmer's costs and how do you also increase the margins? Because, you know, the, slight, the slightest thing, um, so for instance, you know, logistics, because you're, uh, you're dealing with smaller farmers, logistics for that small farmer is already so much more expensive in comparison to a larger farmer who would be who would be um, transporting more tons of harvested produce um, 
on, on the same journey, if that makes sense. So you have to very quickly think about how do you cut costs and how do you create economies of scale? Um, and the, the challenge that we also find is there's so many middlemen as well with the smallholder farmer and that cuts again into the margin for the smallholder farmer who, who you know, considering that they contribute, they make up 80% of um, agricultural activity, uh, they still tend to live you know, low to medium, um, low income class, basically not even up to middle income class. And that just shows, goes to show that it's the, the margins they earn quite, quite slim compared in comparison to what they should be earning. Mm. No, it really is an excellent idea. I mean, you're a co-founder. So how did this idea come about? Um, it was born whilst I was actually still based in England, um, London. So I had a personal health issue where, you know, previously I didn't really care what I ate. I would go through a Maltesers bag and not really think twice about it. Um, But then I had to take my health seriously. And then that's when I started um, finding, you know, learning a lot of um, things in our food, like aspartame and all these chemicals. And I took an interest into what I ate. And um, that threw me into the the world of, uh, of the challenges of the food industry. You know, we grow in an unsustainable way that's hurting our environment in the sense of, you know, there's a lot of soil degradation, overuse of chemicals. And the argument is that we, we have to farm in this way because of uh, we have to grow for a, an increasing population, but we waste a lot of our food and it's increasing, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the early 2000s, it was around 30%, according to World Bank, is now closer to 40%. And with uh, the pandemic, it's probably even increased, um, although there's no uh, specific research I can quote at this point. Um, but that just, you know, so, so that's where the idea was born. And whilst I was in London, actually, it started out as a... Um, a consumer facing app where we actually try to trial it with a few um, uh, retailers uh, had some initial conversations with Sainsbury's and the idea remains the same in the sense of how do we cut down food waste? How do we increase the nutritional value of our food? Uh, but we shifted our idea from focusing on the end consumer to the farmer because that's the farmer is actually the difficult point because that's the start of the production um and that's where the most impact can be created whereas if you're looking at it from the end consumer perspective the food has already gone through the the, the entire supply chain so um we have to shift our lens to and, and that's really why the pivot um from from england and coming to sub-saharan africa and then looking at it from the farmer's perspective yeah it really is marvelous the way you've managed to sort of move it over to directly to where it's all started and began from so was it a hard shift or an expensive shift yeah definitely (laughs) um uh, mentally financially emotionally it was quite a challenge um I mean you know again England very structured you know you have lots of policies in place to protect farmers you have subsidization in place to, you know, you have things like the common agricultural policy, which, um, you know, with Brexit, I'm not entirely sure how that would play now because that was in a European level um, mm. policy that was, um, you know, uh, protected uh, British consumers in the sense that GMOs weren't allowed. There are very high food standards and there's a lot of protection to the farmers. Um, 
and you don't really have that in Nigeria where we are currently. And also, um, even though we're expanding to Kenya and Uganda, you don't really have those much of those protections there either. So the markets are very fragmented, but um, there are also lots of opportunities. The fragmentations and the challenges create opportunities for us to think about, okay, how, do, how can we do things differently? Mm-hmm. Um, and emotionally as well, because of course, leaving uh, one country to another, it's it's a challenge in, in itself in terms of thinking differently. But I'm, I'm one for not wanting stability. Like I like to always feel like I'm being challenged. I don't like to feel comfortable in a certain um, situation. So I always look for the le- next challenge. And this is one that has really racked my head for the last, uh, so since 20, late 2018, since I've been working on this full time. Um, but it's not without its, its rewards. You know, the word, knowing that you're creating impact and you're changing the world without sounding, uh, you know, over, I can't remember the word now, but, um, you know, you have to, do something that you love and something that uh or at least that's what i chose to do something that i felt was impactful important to me something that i felt like i was um i, I was impacting the world in a, in a positive way that's really one thing that drives me and that's why i am still doing this despite its challenges See, there's an awful lot of personal investment in this, your time, your emotions, um, and the fact that it's making such a difference, a, a measured difference, I assume, seeing as you've been at it since 2018, and now it looks like you're expanding to different countries. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's a huge learning uh, curve. I mean, I think what I've learned in the last uh, two to three years working on this full time, it surpasses going to university and um, my first seven years working in asset management. I think the the fact that it's been so challenging, it has made me have to push my boundaries even further and really have to develop my skills to match those changes. So, you know, when your boundary is being pushed, you have to then grow your skills how to cope with that new your new normal basically um and and that's been a consistent um learning opportunity for me and uh, I, I think that's probably one thing that i enjoy most about the experience so far the the opportunity to keep learning what support have you been getting either from a national or you know personal um, basis you know from either the country or from mentors yeah, um, so the the UK government has actually been quite um, instrumental uh, in terms of support. Um, so the BEIS, uh, um, we received grants from, from the BEIS, uh, the Department of Business uh, Strategy and Industry. I don't think I have that correctly, but it's <laughs> it's basically a parastatal of the UK government. Um, and we were awarded those grants directly from the Royal Academy of Engineering. Um, in particular, during COVID, because of our COVID response to smallholder farmers, we um, were awarded um, £15,000 um, as well. Mm. Locally as well, we have been awarded £20,000 um, housing in grants as well locally uh, mentors definitely have and continue to play a huge role in growing the business um, it's interesting 
I think one of my very first mentors is um, Steve Waldron, who is the husband of Sanjita Waldron. And that's where the connection um, for being a part of the book, uh, corporate, um, corporate Social Responsibility is not PR. That's where that came from. So, you know, the opportunity to work with people that are so intelligent and so skillful um, has and continues to benefit me in terms of growing my personal brand and also growing forms to you as a business as well. Did you like my little link there? Sorry? <laughs> Did you like my little link there? Because I was <laughs> leading you towards that. Okay. So yes, we are going to be talking about your involvement with corporate social responsibility, not PR, which is a book written by Sangeeta Waldron. So why did you get involved with this particular book? What made it stand out for you? Um, yeah, so I, 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 I know Sangeeta through my um, great mentors, Steve Waldron, and they're both great, intelligent um, people. And, you know, when Sangeeta spoke about the book and she'd actually had the idea before COVID and it's quite pertinent, you know, with hmm. the, the the state of the world affairs that we currently find ourselves, you know, our, the, the environment is dying right in front of our eyes. We can see that happening. Um, and if drastic changes are, are not made, you know, it's, it's not looking promising. So, you know, after Sangeeta spoke to me about the vision of the book, I was really honored, first of all, that she um, decided to share it with me. But more importantly, I, I felt like um, it was important to share the share uh, um, my personal views of why corporate social responsibility is important. And um, having that third world um, emerging economy view as well, because, you know, being in Nigeria, being um, operating in Sub-Saharan Africa, the, the vision is um, working in an emerging economy. And when you hear about things like corporate social responsibility, people think about it like, oh, that's a first world problem. But we are we are all inhabitants on on the on, on planet Earth. So you know, problems in terms of climate change, in, in in terms of flooding, it affects everybody. So you can't think about CSR in isolation of, you know, okay, only certain regions need to think about CSR, only, um, um, you know, certain um, people need to think about CSR. I think it's a community responsibility, it's everybody's responsibility. And I, I thought it was important for me um, to, to give that voice and I talk about the importance of CSR from, from the Nigerian perspective, from the Sub-Saharan African perspective. It, you know, very much um, I feel it's seen as a tick box exercise doing the CSR, um, the corporate social responsibility, you know, that the HR department says, you know, this, this is something that um, larger businesses, it doesn't even have to be corporate really, but larger businesses ha- have to feel that there's a public necessity that they have to show that they've done it and it's like a tick box. Do you feel the same way? Um. Definitely, I do think so. Um, and, you know, I think... It's, what can it's we do I'm... to change the perception? How can we make people think differently about this? Um, I think, I think first of all, not thinking about it as a marketing tactic. Mm. I'll bring up um, the Black Lives Matter movement as an example because, you know, that's the most... I think that, that, was, that was one... Um, something you can consider a social responsibility that really migrated from America and, you know, 
came went into so many other countries started protesting as part of the BLM movement and lots of corporates were jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. But then when you started asking questions like, let's see what your, your board of directors, your, your board looks like, what, who, who are your directors, who are, um, what's the structure of your team like? And it's, it's, it was an entirely different um, conversation. So they were, they were very quick to jump onto the bandwagon in terms of saying that, okay, yes, we are pro BLM, but their board was not pro BLM, nor was their um, team structure. Hmm. So it's first of all dispelling that notion that um, these sort of um, movements should be simply a marketing tactic. It's currently International Women's Week, so again, it's about you know com- companies that are um, claiming to be gender um, pro gender inclusion. What, what, what does the structure of their um, team look like? What's the salary disparity between a male and a female em- employee? I remember when I was working in finance, I was working in City of London in, in very well-known asset management companies. The differences between male and female workers' salaries were you know, sometimes upwards of 80%. You know, and Jeez, really? how to justify that? Yes, because that, wow. there, there was a there was a there was a law implemented in um, 20, uh, 2018 where certain companies were exp- were required to publish the salaries on a gender level. So for senior management staff to actually try to address those sort of challenges. So I think policy is a way to address it because um, with that um, new law in place, a lot of companies, um, you know, the likes of um, Goldman Sachs and a few other financial companies. I say this because I'm com- I-, I worked in finance and I was aware of this um, specific particular policy mm-hmm. where um, um, senior management salaries had to be published. Uh, you know, th- those sort of companies had to publish, make those um, th- that data um, public. And I think that's probably something that it shouldn't just be senior management. It should be across the board. It should not just be finance. It should be across industries so that we can um, actually address the problem head on. And because there's this culture in, in, in the corporate world that, um, you know, I, I'm not allowed to share what my salary is. And it's something that has worked against um, you know, women is worked against minority groups as well. And I think by making it more open, you then put the onus on the company to make sure that they are um, acting um, in accordance with what they're stating in terms of diversity, in terms of inclusion as well. No, that's, so I think that's how you, by involving everyone and also policy, I think that's how you change it. I completely agree. And I swear, if you went into politics, I'd vote for you. That was brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, I I honestly think um, there is a lot of things in place. There is an infrastructure that we can work from that has improved things. It's just not being applied or certainly not enough. Um, Um, Things are getting better, but they're getting better at a very slow pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you look at the Scandinavian countries, they're far advanced, England, for instance, in terms of equality. I can't remember what country it is that has both a female prime minister and a female. Um, so basically the, the top most individuals in the country are both female. Um, so I think it's a, it's, 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 um, 
about learning from, and also Rwanda, half of Rwanda, which is a, a country in, in Africa, they, they um, have um, um, female, half, more than half the cabinet are female. So it's a case about looking at the case studies and seeing what inclus inclusion and diversity does. Um, because corporate social responsibility, yes, it includes thinking about the environment. It's also about thinking about diversity of thoughts. Mm. The disadvantage of having a certain, only certain type of people in an organization means that you're not thinking in a well-rounded way and the world itself is diverse. So in order to build for a sustainable world, you have to think about things from a diverse point of view. So diversity of people, diversity of thoughts, and also just trying to see how can you include, be more inclusive in terms of how you build your business. So not building a business from profit, from a profit only mindset, but from a community mindset. So, you know, you're starting a business, what's the benefit to the community? Um, how do you involve the community as part of the business you're building? Um, as opposed to just thinking, how, you know, what are my profit margins? How do I, how do I make the best, the best margin for my investor? And then forget about the community where that business is actually um, being built. It really is a happy medium of both because there are um, shareholders and people do want to make a profit and improve their own lives as well as those of their staff, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's trying to make, keep people accountable, isn't it? As well as ourselves, um, it's trying to keep other people accountable. And unfortunately, there's no massive, you know, worldwide regulatory body for this. Not in one place anyway. They're, they're all different, like continent based and that sort of thing. So... This has gone a, a long way from a sub-Saharan <laughs> tour. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's very much what you're doing is a little bit of what everybody should be doing. Thinking beyond ourselves and protecting uh, not just local economy um, and the environment, but giving back. So how do people learn about what you do, Aisha? Where, where you know, is there a website? Is there um, social media yeah, sure, sure. Um, I like the final point you just made about, you know, moving away from sub-Saharan Africa and how the conversation has really changed. And it just shows how small and big at the same time the world is. And, you know, Sangeeta's book actually included people from India, from Germany. So it was a very global book as well in terms of um, Sangeeta um, getting views from a, a number of different people. Um and, you know, uh, in, in terms of at Pharmacy, what we're trying to do as well is, is building a business that is thinking about the community first, how to give back hmm. to the community first. Um, and I'm on social media, um, on Twitter, Aisha Rahim, um, on LinkedIn, Aisha Rahim as well. Oh, Aisha Rahim Bolanua, actually. I, I never changed my, my name <laughs> after getting married. The admin stress uh, just... <laughs> Did not seem appealing. Um, and also our website, farmstew.com. Um, I'm pretty um, um, responsive online. So uh, if anyone wants to reach out or ask any more questions about what we're building at Farmstew, I'm always have, happy to have a chat. Uh, um, I'm, I'm always keen to learn, learn new things. And the best way to learn is to speak to other people. And it's farms, F-A-R-M-Z, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and the letter U. Okay. Well, that 
conversation really didn't go the way I expected it actually went a lot <laughs> a lot further afield than I was imagining but you know this is what I like about our conversational podcasts you know we can cover all sorts of um, amazing sectors um, and it takes people like yourself knowledgeable um, courageous frankly for moving and, and starting all over again with probably very little support when you first got there and um, to make such a difference yeah. and you know we applaud you, you know. Thank you so much, Melanie. And um, it's a pleasure having, you know, spoken to you for the last couple of minutes. And um, I've been to, I don't know if you're in Northern Ireland or Ireland. I'm in the Republic. Based in, in the Republic. Republic. Yeah. Uh, right, right. Um, I, I mean, I've only, the furthest I've been to is Belfast and they were super friendly. So, um, yeah. I'll come down here next time. They're pretty good here too. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Well, thank you for your time, Aisha. And, you know, um, we we look forward to learning more about this as you grow. We'd love to have you back another time. All right. Great. Thank you so much, Melanie. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news on Facebook facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE and on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.